Hello. Welcome to What We've Learned, episode 12. As ever, I'm joined by Shane. Hello, Shane. Hi, Steve. Uh, this is a very interesting one, Shane. If ever we needed to understand the power of marketing communication, or perhaps just a magic wand that we've managed to wave properly, it was only last episode that we finished by referencing people that we admire, uh, one of those being Andrew Colwell. Uh, and lo and behold, I believe we can have Andrew Colwell with us today. Is that right? We have. We have. Yes. He's very yeah. excited. And we're both going to have a chat with him, which is super. Well, let's just kick off and bring him in and hear all he has to say. So, hi, Andrew. I'm really pleased that you can join us on this week's podcast. And uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce Andrew Colwell, his marketing director at Fleet Solve. Andrew is a qualified marketer and has been in the industry not quite as long but almost as long as me and I'm really happy he's going to share some of his thoughts about being a marketer in the current environment as well as all the lessons he's learned in his career. So Andrew welcome. Uh, thank you very much Shane it's uh, it's lovely to be here it's lovely to be asked and uh, I hope that uh, I'll be able to add some value and a little bit of interest um, to the listeners. So can you tell me a bit, Andrew, in terms of um, your role today as Marketing Director of Fleet Solve? I'm very aware you've worked both client side um, and agency side, but what is it that you do today and how big is your team? It's interesting uh, because, so Fleet Solve is, uh, it's been going for about 20 years. Uh, it's the UK's leading sustainability and carbon reduction specialist. So we do stuff like provide off-grid uh, low carbon, uh, sustainable power uh, and energy uh, for big companies like all of the you know major supermarkets, prisons, hospitals, hotels, council buildings, that sort of stuff. Uh, and in Q3 uh, last year, Cymec, uh, we became part of the Cymec family. So at the moment, it's fleets of a Cymec brand. Uh, Cymec is one of the world's biggest producer of green energy, renewable energy. So they have huge massive big estates of solar, hydro, tidal, and, and obviously the biofuel, bioliquid side of things. That's where, where we come into the mix. Um, so in terms of, you know, it's the, the challenge really in general terms is that's a big B2B challenge. Uh, we have a, a big ticket product, as it were, which, which I'll possibly come on to a bit later, but that's, it's a great opportunity that, but it's also a bit of an issue in the current times. Um, and in terms of the team, we, we, we have a small team. It's, it's only, you know, count on one hand, the size of the marketing team at Fleet Song. But it's, uh, we have a, a broader central marketing resource within CIMAC. So we have a, a series of specialists in the communications team, in the brand team, uh, in the direct team, in the strategic team, etc., that we can draw upon all of the CIMAC businesses, draw upon that central resource to to get whatever we feel that we need at that particular time. That's really interesting, Andrew, because I think one of the challenges, and it's often something that comes up when, when I go into companies consulting, or I know Steve um, also finds, is that when companies are acquired and you merge in, there's lots of challenges around, you know, the team you've created and working as part of a new structure. How did you go about if you like, trying to get the best from your central resource and working with them? It's interesting. That's a really good question, Shane, because um, I've, I've never worked in this sector previously. 
So I only joined the business in at the start of this year. Uh, so probably, well, I think my first week, February, the first week of February when I joined the business, which was interesting times to, to join uh, in terms of what's just transpiring currently. Um, but that whole challenge of, it's it, even though Simic is a huge business, Simic, you know, turns over $4 billion globally. So it's a big company. But in terms of that central resource, uh, it's sort of, it's, they don't have a big digital team necessarily. So one of the things that I've been asked to bring into the, the, the fleet solve business is a whole range of digital experience and digital uh, modes of conduct or, or methods of doing things. So I've found that I've been able to lean upon central resource uh, in a lot of things, but when it's come to digital marketing, it's been something that I've used my own experience and my own team and my own contacts, you know, whether that be freelancers or agencies or other resource that I've, I've developed over the years. And I've actually been able to introduce that to the wider Simic marketing team. And so they've been able to lean upon that and my own sort of digital experience specifically. And, and Andrew, that sounds like very, very good timing for them as well as you, that digital, as Shane and I have spoken about on previous episodes, that the transition to digital has been hugely accelerated by a lot mm. of B2B markets because of the environment has that meant that you know you put if you needed to you were pushing on a on a very wide open door because you've got to keep the sales and marketing machine running and digital is so so front and center right now i i, I didn't need to push on any door because there sort of wasn't a digital door necessarily to to push open it was you know we, we do have a, a really good digital resource centrally but it's uh, currently, I think it's probably under-resourced. We've got one guy who's very good at what he does, uh, but it's a, it's a big, wide company. Um, and so I was given, thankfully, a level of autonomy um, that I was able to get things done quickly. And the reason for that, I suppose, as well, and this sort of is another point, but uh, my uh, CEO, my boss, Keith O'Connor, he's... He's a big supporter of marketing. He's a very strategic guy, very sharp guy, but he really sees the value of marketing and is in quite and it and is very inclusive with what marketing has to offer uh, strategically within the business. So it, in that respect, it was quite easy to um, I don't know evidence what the you know what the true value was, what the capabilities of marketing were. I think that really interesting about because it's come up on on previous episodes of Steve's references that that there's a bit of a crisis of confidence and alluded it to last week when we were talking to to Phil about the value of marketing and it fantastic you've got a, a stakeholder you know in Keith that really gets that mm. and you say you've been you've been given freedom and to to move at pace. I really like the fact you've referenced, if you like, you've got a blended approach. You've got your team, you've got central resource, yeah. you've got agency and previous, you know, contacts. It, how do you manage that, Andrew? Because that that's not an easy role. Um, no, it isn't. And, you know, it feels like you're wearing many masks throughout one day, uh, throughout an hour, really. <laughs> one a day. Um, but it, it's interesting because I don't, I know, I've I've read some stuff and I've heard some stuff talked about the sort of it's a the current the last twelve weeks or fourteen weeks or so have been a bit of a crisis of confidence for marketers. But I'm I don't see that personally. I see it wider, but I don't know whether it's totally true because I think actually more than ever I think that modern marketing, the modern approach to marketing, can now is the time to really demonstrate its value. I think actually that 
the coronavirus, uh, you know, COVID-19 has allowed marketers to, to surface the tactical capabilities, but also not just the tactical capabilities, but to really evidence what the strategic value is. So being given that autonomy and, uh, you know, is, has been really valuable. In fact, you know, after we uh, did the whole crisis management piece, which I think every marketer or every business did at the start of this, um, I spent some time, probably about a four to six week period, sort of semi on secondment to one of the, the wider uh, GFG businesses to implement a, a digital marketing approach that was all about opportunity realization. So, um, yeah, they, sorry, I should have explained at the front end. Cymec is a big old business in its own right. It's, you know, you know, three point five a billion quid turnover. But um, Cymec is a part of um, GFG, which is one of the largest privately owned uh, companies in the world. I think GFG turns over about $20 billion. It's owned uh, by Sanjeev Gupta. And one of the GFG businesses is, is Jahama Commercial Estates. And in the UK alone, they've got about 150 commercial properties. And a lot of those commercial properties were being mothballed as a part of coronavirus because, you know, big manufacturing plants, you know, cessation of business, big spaces available. Um, and that was happening, which on one, if you stay, if you stand still and you look at that and you think, crikey, that's a big issue for our business. But if you, if you flip it over and you think, okay, actually, we've got this huge real estate here that's not really doing anything at the moment, but equally in the market, aviation stopping. Auto, um, you know, the auto industry stopping, manufacturing stopping. There's going to be a whole series of fleet up, literally on the road where, with nowhere to go. Uh, lots of plants, machinery, heavy equipment, nowhere to go. Where do, where do these companies uh, put this? You know, at the time, I think National Coach had something like 17,000 vehicles not on the road. Where do they put that? So so we did this whole digital marketing campaign where we we, we looked at what the market was saying there and then and the requirements in the B2B sector for storing all of these fleet and plant and machinery and, and tangible assets, and equally all of the, the space and the, uh, the security and the sites and the UK network that Johama had. So we just, we pulled together a really quick, you know, we did the old principles of marketing where we looked at audiences, we looked at decision makers, we looked at the channel and we chose LinkedIn. We did a LinkedIn paid media campaign. We set up a campaign landing page, which was conversion optimized. We got the sales team behind it as well. And we started to generate some leads and that was tactical. But Johama would never have the opportunity to be in front of those people previously had we have not had this crisis to go at. So they, they got, as, part, as well as being in front of a lot of uh, companies and big decision makers and stakeholders that they wouldn't have done previously, they started to generate business at a time when a lot of the commercial properties were just standing still and that they were you know they were emptying at, at the very front end the sharp end of this crisis when people didn't know what was happening even before the furlough scheme was being announced you know it was it were tough times so yeah that opportunity realization that whole digital approach but that sort of agile approach being fleet of foot about the whole thing uh, that's that was really important and that was something that I was fortunately, with my experience, being able to bring to bear in a, a different part of the GFG business. And to a certain extent, it sort of showed and illustrated to the wider group, hey, guys, look, this is what we can do. That's an interesting story, Andrew. And again, actually, it harks back to previous episodes and just fill the previous week. If you look at this environment as a positive one, 
And of course, there are lots of negatives. I don't want to dismiss that, but it, it almost gives a chance for good marketing, problem solving, rapid, you use the word agile, that mm. is often used, but isn't necessarily actually, uh, sorry, the word is used, but it's not executed on. This perhaps turn it on its head. It gives a chance for marketing to to raise its game and its profile mm. across the many, not just the business, but by the sounds of it, many businesses within that that group that you've got. I agree, Steve. I, I think that, I mean, all of the standard stuff that you would expect, you know, you have the whole crisis management piece, then you go into the uh, the comms piece, you've got internal communications, customer communications, stakeholder communications, and then you start to, once you've, you've gone through that and you've set those schemes in play, you know, then having the ability to sort of challenge the norm a little bit, you know, you can either sit back and accept these things or you can say, right, where's the opportunity here? And that I love I love the opportunity realisation, Andrew, I oh, think, yeah. you know, for looking at that opportunity. I'm really interested, intrigued and sorry to jump in, but who else was in that team to make that happen? Uh, initially, uh, there were three of us. Uh, there was there's myself. Uh, there was uh, Keith O'Connor, who's my CEO at FleetSolve. And there's uh, a chap called Dilip, Dilip Ortani, who's the chief exec of Jahama. Uh, and I think on one of the, you know, the, the, the big calls, as it were, that, you know, Keith and Dilip are on with Sanjeev, uh, this opportunity, you know, came up and Keith, you know, to be fair to him, he spotted the opportunity. And and then it's thinking outside of your standard box, isn't it? You know, we as FleetSolve didn't have the uh, ability to react to this market requirement. We knew the market requirement was there. Keith had spotted that it was there. And it was like, okay, but we do have other assets within the business that allows us to to realize this opportunity. And then, so it was, right, okay, you three guys, you go and make that happen. Uh, and we did. And we sort of, you know, we, we pulled together the plan. Uh, and I, you know, went off and worked with my own marketing contacts, you know, within uh, initially with some guys in FleetSolve, but then also uh, using the external network that I've got. And then I brought it back to uh, Dilip and his team and said, look, this is the plan, guys. If we're going to make this happen, we need to make it happen quickly, and this is how it's got to happen. And to be fair to them, they were saying, Andrew, that's, that sounds good. It makes perfect sense. Let's let's go. Let's go for it. And we did it really quickly. And, you know, within a week, probably, we were having serious conversations and uh, with big, major European um, bus companies, big... I can't say the names because of NDA, but <laughs> huge, big, impressive brands, you know, big sort of uh, vehicle truck rental companies, you know, ma massive people that we, that business would never have spoken to previously who are now have got them as customers and have got that dynamic relationship with them moving forward. I think that's fascinating. I think they're just, just fishing off on that, that, that gut feel, if you like, um, yeah. you know, that somebody's really close to the market. We've talked before about, you know, the value of data, the value of insight, but, Oh, my goodness. You know, when you've got somebody who just sees an opportunity and I know I'm sure you've got a comment on this, too, Steve. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's 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 great that uh, I had two comments, really, Andrew. One is and this sounds a bit glib and it's not meant to, but you've got in Keith and, and the two CEOs, yeah. people that are obviously very forward thinking. Mm -hmm. um, this makes it sound like your job's easy, but there may well be people listening in saying, well, I haven't, as, as in my position as a senior marketer, don't have such a good seat at the table because my CEO or my board mm -hmm. don't get marketing in the same way. So I wondered if you've got any thoughts for, well, how can, from your experience, how can marketing 
step up? How can it get that chance to talk? Um, and then secondly, was really interested, although you can't name the brands, I think the really fascinating bit here is it sounds like you opened the door uh, for opportunities that weren't there. Mm -hmm. Those those brands that they're now engaged with, did they know your um, sister brand for what they do? I.e., yeah, we were aware, but uh, we just hadn't thought of you. Or was it a case of introducing them completely from scratch at that pace as well? So solving a solution, you know, they're pr providing a solution that they never even knew existed. So, so going back to your first question, in terms of you know, if you haven't got a, a voice at the top table. There's a couple of things. Obviously, it helps if you're, you know, if the chief exec of a business is bought in, then that really helps. Um, and it, it helps me. I, personally, I'm lucky because, as Shane alludes to at the start, I'm a qualified marketer. You know, after I did my degree, I did my master's in marketing. So I, I, I get the strategic side of things. And I, and that's good that you, you are perceived as somebody who can add genuine strategic value to a business. And that's good. However, even if, if neither of those two things are the case, marketing, it's not a god-given thing really you know you've got to you've got to earn and demonstrate respect within a business and so there are many ways that you can do that but ultimately you know the value that marketing can deliver is is going to be to the bottom line ultimately and if you can help directly or indirectly add value to the bottom line of a business then people will have to they'll be forced to sit up and take note so you, you can do two things. You can say, look, I'm woe is me. I'm not being heard. And I get that. But whatever opportunity you are given, make it happen. You know, make it happen successfully wherever possible. Show your value. Show what you can actually do. And just move up that food chain until you, you get to that ability where people are listening. Or people, not just listening, but they, they're asking you, hey, what, what do you think to this? So you turn the tables. And, and I guess it's also talking their language, Andrew, as well. You know, we can get hung up in our models. And as you say, as a qualified marketeer, you could spout out, the three of us could play a game of marketing bingo with all the frameworks <laughs> and models, et cetera. But you've got to recognize if you're talking to the CFO, yeah. talk in their language rather than in marketing speak. That's a really valid point, really valid point, because uh, I will answer your second question now. But the answer to that question is that we well we're just doing a campaign at the moment which is about understanding our proposition versus the sales cycle and deconstructing what our proposition is and when we've deconstructed our fleet solve proposition we've understood that we've got three distinct audiences and that whole language that tone uh, the whole content piece the, the the visual communication piece it's going to be very different and and that's because it will resonate more so it's not just about targeting and getting the data aspect at the front end, but it's how do you speak to these people? You know, at which point are they, what, what's going to make them think, this is for me. Actually, this is worth a conversation. I need to engage with these guys because they speak my language. They understand my challenge and they've got a solution here that potentially we could, we could have. So it's really important. It's a really valid point, Steve. I, I think in answer to your second question, um, in terms of you know when you were talking about did they previously have any relationship then no jahama had no relationship at all with the people that they were in front of previously because they actually have never adopted a direct sales approach previously so they'd always gone through tpis or third-party introducers so they'd never had this direct sales approach and so not only was it a, a digital brand new for them having a direct sales approach was brand new for them as well so the, the the companies that they had conversations with and the companies that they signed up, they'd those companies had not heard of Jahama previously. So it was brand new relationships. 
so you a lot of change um yeah. and a lot of experimentation and all very fast um I think that, you know, what have been the biggest challenges? If you introduce a direct approach, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the, the back ends, if you like, and the, the actual onboarding mm-hmm. is very different to when you do it through partners. So how did you go about that? Um, well, from a marketing perspective, it was fairly straightforward um, because it was – I think it was more the back end, you know, on the Jahama side of things from a sales perspective, it was something that they weren't having to do. I suppose to a certain extent, they probably saw me as that third party introducer, if that makes sense. So I'm not part of their business. I'm sort of, you know, parachuted in to help them realize this opportunity. So I'm a little bit of a TPI in their eyes. But, you know, and again, they probably, if I'm being really honest, they probably thought, who's this guy? <laughs> exactly who's this you know that we've never heard of him he's literally only been with the company since february what's he got to add to the you know what comes he in bring here with the his table? marketing ideas yeah <laughs> yeah marketing marketing so it's like it's sort of um I, but only then it was like you know it was like ping inboxes are you know pinging with opportunity and please can you you know voicemails are being left can you please ring me i have this opportunity i have this problem at the moment so you earn respect and then as you build that you earn respect um so yeah it is it it's tough but you've got to um i suppose the approach it's a bit like you know moving back to fleet solve our challenge at the moment is um is quite different because of the coronavirus context but we've all had to adapt you know not just marketing the sales guys have had to adapt as well um, and we've got to be a bit sort of more cunning uh, with the way in which we go about, you know, reducing sales cycles or having the right type of commercial model for the market at the moment. So yeah, there's it has there have been quite a few challenges that we've we've had to face or currently are still facing up to. So do you have a cunning plan then? I mean, I'm really fascinated <laughs> to know the what next, Andrew. Is, is uh, you know, because you've got, as you say, you've got the opportunity to experiment. You you are doing different things. Um, you can sometimes be a bit like a sort of. I'm not saying you, but marketers can be accused of being a bit like a sort of a, a kid in a sweetie box when we've got all of the digital stuff we can try. You know, how, how are you focusing on on your what next? I think uh, you're right. Um, it's. If you're going to, it's interesting because to a certain extent, currently you can't afford to fail um, because cash isn't uh, that rich at the moment. However, um, now is exactly the time that you can afford, that you can actually try new things uh, because it's time to challenge the norm at the moment. And you can be disruptive and you can adopt a different approach because people need that. You know that we're not in a normal context at the moment. So we're in a massively different scenario you know coronavirus has has not just changed for the now but certainly in our sector it's going to change for years and years to come um you know we've got um we've got a a, two things we've got a a product as it were or a solution which is a big ticket amount okay so these big combined heat and power off-grid units they they look like three porter cabins stitched together that's that's how big they are and they've, they're filled with really innovative engines and great sustainability technology and, and that's all cool and it's locked into legislation it's written into legislation that all businesses need to be you know carbon zero or low carbon by the time 2030 comes and that's great and everybody uh, you probably saw at the start of this whole coronavirus uh, coronavirus crisis that you know, for the first time in a decade, there was an Indian village that could actually see the Himalayas. 
yeah. you know, and I, we all saw that photograph. It went viral and it was like, wow, emissions are way down. Look at what can be achieved here, guys. However, when you've got um, lots of businesses as a result of the lack of trade becoming cash poor and the furloughing staff, the shutting down manufacturing, people can't fly, people can't travel, you know, and people can't buy to a certain extent, you know, people can't go to restaurants or can't go to bars or they, you know, they, they can't go to the high street. And that's changing, about to change. But at the start of this, it's like, okay, so we've got a big ticket product here. So <laughs> how we need to understand this market really quickly and understand how we can adapt really quickly. And we need, and we changed our commercial model. And I get the fact that you can't always do that, but we were able to do that, thankfully, because we're part of Cymec and GFG, and we've got this, you know, big thing behind us that left us in a position where we had the option to. So, you know, the sort of asset sale um, previously, uh, you know, we would try and, you know, we could be, I don't know, anything from selling a piece of equipment from half a million quid to ten and a half million quid, you know, big, big money. But who's got that amount of money on their balance sheet at the moment? Not too many businesses. So we had to pivot our commercial model where we said, actually, do you know what, guys? You've got these assets in play yourself at the moment. We'll we'll buy them from you. You know, we can buy them and then we'll lease them back to you. So we can buy them and then lease them back on a you know a much longer term contract at a fixed monthly amount for certainty. Um, then it gives them a cash injection up front. Uh, it, it takes a depreciating asset off the balance sheet, gives them long-term planning in terms of fixed price, uh, and it gives us a, a recurring income model over a longer period of time, and it locks in our revenue streams. And that, and that sort of pivot of how to change your commercial model has, has reduced what previously could have been more elongated sales cycles because we've understood what the market required and we've increased the opportunities available to us because that commercial opportunity that commercial model change has given us those big opportunities and and it's got us in front of people that previously potentially would, would probably say hey guys we know it's really important this whole sustainability piece this whole renewable energy piece but but actually let's let's just park that for six months because we're still firefighting here but when we come up with a commercial model that allows us to help them with that firefight then they listen immediately and, and Andrew, that's, I mean, that's fascinating in terms of you used Agile earlier on, but for the, for the organisation to, to, to rethink the commercial approach so quickly, I'd be interested, where's marketing's role in that? Is it a case of, you know, the same, same approach to communicating? Are you finding, and I'm finding with a couple of clients with, with my agency hat on that they're having to spend a lot more time creating messaging and content that's actually not for marketing, but it's for sales because the salespeople now need the, the materials in, in a different way. Where does marketing plug into that change, it, that pivot? It's interesting that, that so the, 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 the pivot commercially, obviously it's a, it's a you know, th that was driven uh, by, you know, I talked about Keith O'Connor before and, you know, he's a sharp guy, very strategic guy, and he drove that pivot, that change. But then from that decision, then it's got to happen. So we've got, I don't know whether you've been on our website, fleetsolve.com, but it's the worst in the world. It's a terrible website, shocking. It's not fit for purpose. And it doesn't evidence anything about our business. So in terms of adapting, what we've had to also do in parallel with this sort of bigger ticket opportunity with pivoting the commercial model, we've also separately had to really put a laser-like focus on what our actual proposition is 
but overlaid that against what the actual sales cycle is. And what I mean by that is we have a full turnkey approach, bit of a cliche, but it is. We do sustainability consultancy. We do design planning. We build things for people. We install them for them. We fuel them and we maintain and service them. Okay. The whole shebang, we can give you a ready-made carbon induction strategy and that's all great. However, that takes a while to get things off. That could be 12 months. That could be 18 months. But by looking at that proposition, saying, look, can we deconstruct this? What can we do that gives us here and now revenue, here and now leads, here and now business opportunities? And when we looked at the, the, the engineering team that we've got, the maintenance and the servicing facility and capability that we've got, we've now productized that as a separate entity. And so in terms of where marketing fits, what we're about to do within, oh, I don't know, couple of weeks tops we'll have a big uk-wide campaign going out there talking about very distinctly those two different propositions the 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 big ticket stuff and the here and now say immediate sales opportunity so we'll go we've identified some target audiences we've identified a channel and going back to the horrific website that we've got which i'm glad to say i have no hand in whatsoever um Andrew, about... I was a fan of the 90s as well, don't we? <laughs> You're lucky if it was the 90s, Steve. I'm being honest. <laughs> I think it was more 1983 last time I looked. I try not to. But um, so, yeah, yeah, look, we, we're looking at things like campaign landing pages and developing them into microsites, which have got quite different tones of voices depending upon the audience. So to your point earlier, Steve, about, you know, understanding who your audience is and, and having a different type of voice and message and content absolutely and and we're trying to um do some stuff i know um paul cash who you both know well um he talks a lot about humanizing in b2b and that's so important because within within the engineering sector and within the energy sector if i see another picture of an engine <laughs> it would drive me mad honestly it's just it's disastrous marketing it, so it's again like, you've got your own stock foco bingo uh, can can go on oh, within your sector yeah shane it drives me mad okay and you know when i was having the conversations and discussions before i joined the business with keith i said look you've got to be you've got to be ready for the change i'm going to try and deliver here because we're going to do things very differently and we're not going to look like anybody else and we are going to stand out we're going to get some cut through and we're probably going to upset a few people along the way even being really honest but but i don't mind that because as you alluded to earlier shane you know we've worked together previously in years gone by and the whole market disruption piece gets you somewhere quite quickly it like, does not, yeah it, and I, I think on that andrew i think that just on that point it's really I love the fact you warned your stakeholders <laughs> that you want them to be brave um, up front. You know, it didn't come as a shock to them. And I think you also used the words earlier on in the chat about being seen within the business as a trusted partner. Mm -hmm. And I wonder to what extent that comes perhaps from the fact that you've also worked agency side previously in your career and that, mm. you know, that's how agencies, if they work brilliantly, they are a trusted partner. Do you think that lens that you bring to it, that's helped? A hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. The fact I'm lucky enough to have, um, you know, work client side, agency side. And yeah, it's really helped, really helped because, you know, to a large extent, you know, within the CIMEC and GFG organization, you know, I'm still working agency side to a certain extent because albeit I'm very client focused on FleetSolve, I'm still trying to help other parts of the business and, and people see you differently. You know, they don't see you as a, an employee within their parts of the world. They, they see you as a, an external 
entity. And so, yeah, you're right, Shane, 100% right. I think having that agency experience, it's a massive help when you work client-side. I think or another... vice versa, I guess, as well, Andrew. You know, that mm. we sitting with my, I started client-side, I'm now agency-side. Any, any, it leads back to actually something you, you've been talking about without talking about it, is that you're dealing with a situation now, but you've had decades of readiness for this. So the, the more rounded a marketeer can be, if they've worked agency, I think they make a great client side person and vice versa. But you're pulling back on your, not just your qualifications, but you've solved some of these problems before, I suspect. Maybe they haven't got the same name and certainly not quite in the way that we're having to deal with now. But, you know, there, there's no substitute for experience on, on coming with ideas that you know are going to pro prove to work because they've been there, done that, got the, the balloon and the T-shirt, dare I say. Yeah, no, you're right, Steve. Uh, experience does help. Of course it does. Uh, but it's interesting because, yeah, you know, it's sort of, I have got a fair bit of experience, but the reality is, is that, you know, the last 12 to 14 weeks of probably in, in a very sort of restricted period of time, those sort of three months or so have given me more experience that I've, than I've probably had in the last three years, you know, that, and but you've got to learn from it. Um, and, and we talked about being agile and adapting quickly and learning quickly. And it's really important to actually sometimes to not just be tactical, but to sit back and the, the value of being able to think and the value of being able to think strategically is really helpful. Um, and, and, and I suppose that comes with a bit of, as you get older and more experienced, you're not just sort of operating all the time with knee-jerk reactions and being tactical. Sometimes you've got to, you think about the bigger picture sometimes then it does give you the opportunity to um, learn quicker and to probably let fail less often. You, you still fail from time to time, but you probably uh, do it less uh, often. I think that's a great point about that. Oh, I'm, I'm so passionate, as you know, about time to think. Mm. And in a funny sort of way, we're in this, we've had to think because the situation's so different. And to start with, there we were being given permission to spend more time thinking. And I think one of the things that I've taken from just you know, chatting to you today is your approach to deconstructing the problem. In other words, you know, the innovation you've done, it's, it's still with existing products and services, but, but you have, as you say, you've broken them down into, well, how do we approach it differently with what we've got to suit what the customer needs. And I think that thinking that through is something that everybody can take away um, from this, this episode, because I, I think it's something I don't see happen enough. Um, and that breaking down, is, is it, do you do it in a workshop, Andrew, or is there a particular approach you take to this deconstruction? It's interesting that because um, people talk about, uh, you know, you read a lot about, Everyone's working from home, or a lot of people are working from home uh, in an office environment, certainly. And we were literally, we were, before this hit, we were two weeks away from three weeks, perhaps, moving from a big two and a half thousand square foot place to a 21 and a half thousand square foot place, like big plans for growth. And now we've had to change and people talk about, well, we're working from home. You don't get that water cooler opportunity. Everyone talks about the water cooler moments and that sort of little, you know, uh, those sort of undiarized opportunities. However, the other side to that coin is 
when you do think about these opportunities and when you say you can act quickly, you know, I, I'll have, you know, a one-to-one on Teams with Keith and we daily, we, we communicate daily and I would never have had the opportunity previously. And because you have that one-to-one communication opportunity, um, you can get more out of it because it's undivided attention. And you don't have people, you know, I previously have sat in Keith's office and said, hey, what do you think about this? And he said, Andrew, what do you think about that? And we've chatted some, but then people will say, oh, can I have your attention for this, please? Can I have your decision on that? Can, and it's, it's a little bit sort of um, distracted, both of us. But now it's this one-to-one opportunity. We can get things done really quickly. You know, decisions can be made quickly and or discussed opportunities can be discussed and decisions can be made quickly and we can move ahead quicker than we probably ever would have done previously. Oh, well, thank you, Andrew. You've given us so much to think about. That was an amazing chat and so many learnings. I think really uh, that time to think, particularly, you know, using the time you have with your senior stakeholders um, and deconstructing um, our services and products into new ones. Oh my goodness, so many takeaways. What about you, Steve? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, firstly, before we forget, Andrew, happy birthday to you. Uh, he's done this for us on his birthday. I'm sure it was on his wish list of things to do, uh, is to come and inspire us with thoughts. I, I really like the idea that it's particularly right now, it's very easy to be reactionary, just get on with things, be a busy fool with marketing. But that need to stand back and to think and to reflect and then go and then go hard, press the accelerator on getting that communication out, particularly as, as Andrew's referenced so well, when you've got a product as complex and as expensive as his, which a lot of B2B markets fall into that category, recognising that you've got those different stakeholders that whether it's introducing them for the first time, as he talked about with that, with the coach and the bus industry or whether it's just repointing the way you previously would have commercially sold something. It's that think first and do second that's so important, Shane. Yes, and I hope this spurs lots of conversation on the over on the LinkedIn channel where I know Andrew's very active um, and will join the conversation. And I hope people put their own perspective on this, maybe around some of the challenges that they've had or whether anything that Andrew has said has inspired them. Because, you know, this is a broadcast medium, but we really do enjoy the post podcast chat that goes on on a different format, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it inspires us, Shane, in terms of, as we've seen, as we started this podcast with, if we if we reference people and, and, and observations on issues and, and areas we want covered, lo and behold, we can find really interesting people to, to bring out in future episodes. So, Shane, thanks ever so much for that. I think we'll leave it at that. Andrew, thank you again, although he's had to leave us to eat birthday cake. I'm sure he is. We toast him from here. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. We look forward to speaking with you on the next episode.